Thank you, Him Team. For those of you who are new to our church, um, we have we don't have music every week, so it's a treat when we do have it. The reason is because we don't have enough singers and musicians. So if you are sitting out there and you can sing or you can play an instrument, please come talk to us because then we can have it more often. We we at the moment have Him Team. And then uh, we have music fortnightly, and so we have hymn team, and then two weeks later we have the praise team, two weeks later we have the hymn team, etc. And so um, we have weeks when we don't have any music, and um, weeks when we do. And we also do that because we recognize that some people who are new to church um, don't know the songs or don't feel comfortable singing, and so it gives uh, opportunity for Perhaps um, friends that you want to invite, you can choose to invite them on the weekends. We don't have music if you if you think that's something that um, they would feel more comfortable in. Um, but also we're trying to ease you all into learning the different songs so that eventually um, you, you also feel more comfortable and others who come can, can see what it's like and experience the power of music that way as well. It's the last weekend of January. And it already, it already feels like this year has gone on for a long time. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel. And I wonder how many of you have kept up with your New Year's resolutions. You don't have to raise your hands. Just I just want you to think about it. How many resolutions you've been able to keep up? Uh, those of you who have been getting the daily nugget texts from me, um, I've been sending out uh, text messages with a little devotional thought each day for people who have signed up for it. I think about 30 of you have signed up for it, which is great. Um, and so every morning sometime between seven and nine ish, um, I'll text it out. And so it's today's the 26th and so I've been doing it for 26 days and it's amazing how, um, yeah, it's now become a habit for me as well to, to, you know, have my phone and, and, and send that message out. Some resolutions I haven't been very good with, for example, I wanted to go to bed early, but that has not happened yet this year. Um, but one thing I have done pretty well, I can't say I've been, I did it every day, but one of my resolutions this year was not to snack at night because I had developed this very bad habit of, you know, that um, I've developed in the past two years, which was after the kids finally go to bed, I'm like, finally, it's me time, right? And then I bring out the ice cream and the chips and I'm like, you know, sitting in my room, just like de-stressing from the day. But of course, after a few years of that, I started noticing what it was doing to my body. Um, and so then finally, I'm like, okay, I need to stop. But once you get into the habit of doing something, it's really hard to stop. And so I remember the first time I, I was like, I'm not going to snack today. And my stomach, you know, you can it's growling because it's used to being fed. And it's like, feed me. And it's like 10 o'clock. And I'm like, trying not to think about it, but I'm thinking about the, you know, chips left over from church that's sitting in the pantry. Um, and of course my favorite snacks is on sale. Um, my favorite by the way, is jalapeno. Um, it's like this jalapeno pickled cheddar, red rock chips, the best ever. Um, and so it's so tempting and I don't know if you've ever heard, do you know how long it takes to break a habit? Three days. Who have you been listening to? <laughs> I need whoever that is. I need to talk to them. Three days. I haven't heard that one. Have you heard three weeks? 21 days? It's a myth. It's, it's common to think, oh, well, three weeks. But the truth is that um, how long it takes to break a habit depends on many factors, including how frequent is the habit. For example, if you had a habit that you were doing every hour, it's going to take 
longer time to break that habit than a habit you did once a month, for example. The frequency of a new habit is also going to determine how long it takes to, to build it. If you want to do something every day versus once a month, again, it's going to change how quickly it takes you to adapt. It also depends on the margin of difference between your old habit and your new habit. For example, if I used to go to bed at 1 a.m., saying, oh, I'm going to go to bed at 9, there's a big margin of difference between 1 a.m. and 9 p.m. I'm probably going to have a harder time forming that new habit. Whereas if I say I'm going to go to bed at 11, I might get there faster. So how long it takes to break a habit or build a new habit really depends on many things. Of course, it depends on your, on your circumstances um, as well. I remember, for example, when I went to Europe when I was 19, um, way before I had smartphones and all that, and I was literally there without any contact with you know, home, and all I had was my English Bible, and, and of course, I was speaking French and immersed in the French culture, and so it was so comforting to be able to read my English Bible, because, you know, that there's my, you know, the language I feel comfortable with, and so I spent four hours a day reading my Bible, and it was easier to do that because I had the time also, because I was working in France where they have like a two-hour lunch break, and so um, it was fantastic. And so, you know, because of the circumstances, it was, it was easier to build that habit of, of, you know, immersing myself in the Word, whereas when you go back to, you know, normal life and everything, it's harder. So circumstances and, and uh, frequency, all those things contribute to how long it takes to uh, break a habit or to form a habit. But the bottom line of habits and practices and resolutions and goalkeeping is perseverance. In order to do anything, you have to persevere. But how do we stay motivated when we feel like giving up? How do we stay motivated when we have failed already? How do we persevere? And I want to share with you what the Bible says about the topic about perseverance. Now, the Bible um, is a book that is actually made up of 66 books, and written by various authors, between 30 to 40 authors, depending on uh, what you're looking at. But um, someone very, very helpfully put together a, a graphic of who wrote the most content in the Bible. Now, Moses wrote the most in terms of words, but if you look down here, Paul, a man named Paul, wrote the, the most number of books, 12 books um, in the Bible, in the New Testament. Now, Paul was uh, originally named Saul, and he was from a city called Tarsus, which is um, in modern-day Turkey. He was born in 6 AD. He was born to a Jewish family, but he was born a Roman citizen, much like I'm actually of Korean ethnic descent, but I, was, um, I have dual citizenship in America and, and uh, Australia. And so because of his citizenship, he was able to do a, a lot of things that a lot of other Jewish um, individuals couldn't do. But because of his strong Jewish heritage, and he was a very faithful Jew, he was actually, um, he went to school under a teacher named Gamaliel, who was a very famous rabbi in, in that time. And he ended up being a Pharisee, which was one of the political leaders. And so in today's terms, it's almost like he went to Melbourne High, then he became a state senator. Young man, full of promise, full of a career uh, success, someone that everyone looked up and said, yeah, he's going to make it. Well, he was a very zealous, passionate young man, and it was during the time when Jesus had died, resurrected, and the Christians were going around sharing the news that Jesus was alive, and this growing movement of Christians were becoming a menace to the Jewish way of life. And so 
Saul, being a zealous young man, decided to go and persecute and imprison and kill the Christians. And he thought that was the right thing to do. On his way to a city called Damascus, as he's you know, going there to imprison and, and arrest the Christians, Jesus appears to him in this very dramatic way that I encourage you to read about in the book of Acts. And what happens is all of a sudden, Saul is confronted with this new truth that Jesus is the Messiah and that the Christians have the truth. And all of a sudden, his world is turned upside down. This is around AD 33. And can you imagine how Saul must have felt knowing that he had put innocent people in jail. He had innocent people killed. I feel like if I had that kind of, you know, shift in paradigm and, and that realization, that I would have given up right then and there. It felt so horrible. And it did take Saul some time to change his way of thinking, to accept the truth. But eventually he went on and, and his name was changed to Paul because oftentimes God would change people's names to, to symbolize the change in character, the change in calling. And so Saul becomes Paul. And Paul, for the next 30 years, goes around various parts of Europe and Asia Minor and etc. Um, and becomes this amazing Christian missionary who establishes and plants all these churches, encourages the Christians despite the fact that he was beaten, stoned, imprisoned, and ultimately killed for his faith. And there were times when he wasn't even accepted by his own Christian brothers and sisters, because after all, in the beginning, he had a bad reputation. And even after 10, 15 years, some people were still saying, well, you weren't originally one of us. So he had to face opposition from outside and internally within the community as well. So what kept him going? Why didn't he give up? How did he persevere? So I want to share with you the passages that Paul wrote about perseverance because here's a guy who knows what it means. Here's a guy who lived it out. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses... Ah, oh, that's his biography if you're interested. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 18. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to highlight a few verses. Verse 1. So this is Paul's letter to a church in Corinth. And he says this, Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. Skipping to verse 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Verse 16, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. You see, Paul could endure 30 plus years of persecution and trouble and challenge and hardship because he had the big picture in mind. He wasn't thinking about what he's been through or what he was going through, but he was thinking about what was going to be. 
I'm in this, I'm doing this, um, I'm trying to lose the weight that I've gained from the late night snacking. And so I'm doing this program called Noom. And it's amazing to me as, um, as I'm going through the program and basically it's an app and every day they send me like tips that help you kind of change your thinking as well as little goals that you can set for yourself. And it's amazing to me as I do this app, how much of it actually can be translated to the Christian walk. For example, on the first day, it talks about faith. It says you have to believe that you can change, right? And um, a, few, a few days later, it said that there is a big picture you have to have. And Noom is based on, you know, they, they mix sci- uh, science and psychology, etc. And basically, they, they share research about how psychologists have studied motivation. And they say you have to have a big picture that includes three things. Your end goal, your ultimate why, and then a picture. Uh, idea of a clear concept of how your life will be different as a result. Okay, so end goal, ultimate why, and how your life will be different. So, for example, one of my New Year's resolution is to pick up playing the piano again. When I was a little girl, uh, when I was eight years old, my parents gave me piano lessons, and then we moved. And uh, we moved from Korea to America. Life got really busy and hectic, and, and um, finances became uh, um, difficult. And so I didn't get any more lessons. And so I um, um, somehow, at one point, somebody gave us a very old piano, very out of tune. But I used it to um, to learn some hymns so that I could accompany my parents and my, and my sister when we did family worship. We would have hymns, and so I started playing that. And that's pretty much all I can play (laughs) at this moment in time. Um, But one thing I want to do is actually pick it back up so I can learn to play other songs and and get better at it. So what's my end goal? I have many reasons for wanting to play the piano. One, I I like music. I like playing it. Two, I want to teach my children how to play. Um, Three, I want to cultivate new habits. You know, there's lots of reasons. But my, my... ultimate end goal and my ultimate why is I want to be able to accompany any song um, that glorifies God. I want to be able to use, I, I feel like God has given me that spiritual gift, but I've never really cultivated it. And so I want to be able to cultivate it and really glorify God through, through that ability. So how will my life be different? Um, by the end of this year, at Christmas time, I want to take the boys. There's a local... Um, uh, retirement center, community, um, aged care near our house. And I want to take the boys there so that we can do Christmas carols and I can, I can play the songs on the piano and the boys can sing. That's my, that's my, um, goal for this year. That's how my life will be different. And hopefully I can, you know, once in a while, if I end up playing, if Andrea's not available or Michelle's not available, um, that I can, I can play and not be completely embarrassed by, (laughs) by how the song goes. So you have to be able to have the big picture in mind as you are working towards your goals and your resolutions. What is your end goal? What is your ultimate why? And how will your life be different? Another way to persevere is to be inspired by the example of others. You know, last August when Roy was ordained, um, they gave me, as the pastor's wife, um, the Inspire Bible, which is a, a journaling Bible. And I thought, okay, journaling Bible. So I did use it a few times, and I literally journaled in the margins because I thought, like, that's what it is for. And didn't realize that what you also can do is this. Whoopsie. 
So a friend of mine started posting on Facebook how she took her journaling Bible, inspired Bible, and she was coloring it into like these beautiful pages. And I was like, oh, that's what you're supposed to do. And it completely inspired me seeing, you know, she would post them, um, you know, every few days she would post a new one. And I like art too. It's one, another one of those things I've never really cultivated, but that I enjoy. And so I thought to myself, I'm going to do it. And, but of course you say you're going to do it, but it, a few days go by. But the more posts I saw, the more it inspired me, I'm really going to do it. So I asked her, hey, what, what kind of, you know, things did you use? She told me, she said, you know, use the um, color pencils that blend in shade. They're at Officeworks. And so I, I made a decision. I'm going to go. So I went to Officeworks and I bought the material. And here's my first, oops, that's not it. That's another friend's. Here's my first attempt. <laughs> so, and what I love about it is that I read the text first and I do, you know, it's still journal on the sides, but then afterwards I put on some Christian music that I like. And then while the music is playing and I just color, um, and I pray as I'm coloring for various people that, um, that are on my prayer list. And it's amazing cause you just, you know, normally when you pray, sometimes your mind wanders or sometimes you, um, you know, get distracted and you're like, Oh, I need to go now. But because I was coloring and listening to music and praying all at the same time, not only was it very relaxing, but time seemed to kind of just slow down. And I was able to have that quality time with God talking and praying and, you know, took my time, you know, adding more colors and shades. And before I knew it, you know, 45 minutes had gone by because I was able to just slow down and, and concentrate. Um, and so it's amazing how, you know, inspiration, whether it's from music, whether it's from someone else, can really help us stay motivated can help us keep going. In Hebrews chapter 12, here's Paul writing once again about perseverance. And in Hebrews chapter 11, in the previous chapter, he gives a list of people who have endured. And then he ends it with this ultimate example of all in Hebrews chapter 12. This is page 972 in your white Bibles. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And he says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. In other words, Paul says, look, here are all these people who have endured. Look to them as examples. But ultimately, Jesus is the ultimate example of someone who persevered. Through the mental, emotional, spiritual, physical anguish of the cross, Jesus persevered because he had the big picture, the joy that was before him, the joy of knowing that one day you and I will be with him, right? the joy of knowing that his sacrifice meant something. And so with that big picture in mind, Jesus persevered. You know, a few years ago, I preached uh, about that experience of, of what kept Jesus going in that last hour, in, in those moments when he could barely breathe because he was in so much pain. And for those of you who are here, you might remember that I, I suggested to you that when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That it wasn't a cry of despair, but that he was actually quoting 
Psalm 22. And I encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to look at that, to look at that later on. That when you look at Psalm 22, the very first line of that psalm is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you read Psalm 22, it describes, They have pierced my hands and my feet. They have gambled for my clothes. They have mocked me. They persecute me. And so it actually describes the prophetic scene of Jesus on the cross. And so Jesus is quoting that psalm in order to get people to realize, I am the Messiah. I am fulfilling prophecy right before you. But he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the capacity to quote the whole psalm, but he quotes that first line. And Jews in that day had memorized the psalms as songs. Um, and, the, and Psalm 22 was actually a very popular song, much like the nursery rhymes of today that we have memorized as children. They had memorized the psalms into song format and then chanted them and sang them. And so they would know when Jesus quotes that, that there is something he's trying to say, that that is his power song. At the end of Psalm 22, after describing the horrors that the, you know, the, the speaker is going through, it says that God has answered. There's a verse that says, God has answered me. And it says, one day they will, they will, they will talk about me in the congregations. One day they will all come together to worship me. And one day... God will be glorified. And the end of Psalm 22 says that they will say that he has done this. In the original Hebrew, it just says, and it is done. And if you remember when Jesus was on the cross, not only does he say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he also says, it is finished. So he quotes the first line and the last line of Psalm 22. Because that was his power song that was what was, that kept him going knowing that he is fulfilling prophecy knowing that he is the messiah and that he one day will be able to initiate that global gathering of worship that one day people will get to hear about him and be saved and i encouraged you at that time when i preached about that to find your own power song what's going to get you through in that last bit of struggle. I don't know if you remember, but I sang you a song that I had taught to my children. Do you remember the song? It went like, yes, yeah, some of you are nodding because you remember. It went like this. I taught this to the boys to try to tell them when something's difficult and you don't want to do it, you sing this song. I don't want to do it, but I will. Sing with me, those of you who, who, who have been taught. I don't want to do it, but I will. I don't want to do it, but I will. Because I love Jesus, or because I love mommy, or however, you know, what, what the situation is. <laughs> Remember I taught you that song a few years ago? And I taught it to you to say, it doesn't matter what the song is. It could be as simple as that, or something else. But you find that inspiration to keep you going. You look at someone in your life, or perhaps on media, who is already where you want to be, Right? It's so easy nowadays to find somebody. Let's say you want to lose weight. You, you can find so easily you know, somebody who's already lost weight. Or you want to learn how to you know, play the piano. You can find somebody who's done that, right? Um, there's always going to be someone who's already done what you have done, what you were hoping to do, that you can look to as your inspiration, as your coach. And of course, ultimately, there's Jesus, who was tempted in all things, but overcame. Who faced agonies that we will never, never experience, but who persevered. So find your power song, find your coach, your inspiration, your cheering squad to keep you going. 
And finally, to persevere, you have to be willing to forget the past. Here's another passage that Paul wrote this time to the church in Philippians. And now, at this point in time, he's in prison. He's in prison and he's, he's writing to the church in Philippi. And he says this. And, you know, he's, a, he's an older man by now. But he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not yet achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. You see, if you're running and you look back, there's a good chance you'll trip and fall or that it'll delay you, right? When you're running, you're supposed to look straight ahead. If you're riding a bicycle, you're not supposed to look behind to see, well, how far is the next person or what have I passed? No, you have to look straight ahead. So many times we fall because we're stuck in the past. Because we think, oh, I've already eaten that cookie. I might as well eat another one. Right? Or I've already broken this resolution. What's the point in going on? Just forget about it. Right? I'm never going to change. But I want to reiterate to you today that failure is not the enemy. Despair is. Despair is giving up. Satan wants us to see failure as an end as a character flaw that cannot be changed. He doesn't want us to try because he doesn't want us to succeed. So when we fail, we think, I can't change. It's impossible. Might as well just give up now. But God sets us up for success by giving us a different picture of failure and by giving us grace. And grace is not just God forgiving us. That's, that's mercy and yes, that's forgiveness. But grace is so much more than that. Grace is actually what I like to call a safety net that allows us to learn. For example, I like to use this illustration. Tightrope walking. Okay? Um, very few people in this world would do what he's doing. Because most of us would fall and die, right? And... If someone said to you, I'll give you a million dollars if you if you get on a tightrope and walk across, most of us would say, no, thank you. Our life is worth more than that, right? What if you had a harness? Do you remember this guy in 2015? This is Kane Peterson walking between the two peaks of the Eureka Tower here in Melbourne. And he set the Australian record for the highest. It was 300 meters above ground, um, 21 meters across that he went. But he did have a harness. I guess he could have still gotten really hurt, but he did have a harness. Would you go with the harness? What if you had a safety net? What if you had a safety net? Here's a toddler, three years old. Tightrope walking. Why? Because he's got a safety net. All of a sudden... That changes not only your motivation, but your ability 
to actually walk on that tightrope. Because when you know that you have a safety net, even if you fall, you're going to be okay and you can get back up and try again. Without the safety net, we're not even willing to try. But with the safety net, not only are we willing to try, but it actually empowers us to get better. Because no matter how many times you fall, you can get back up. And the truth is, if you keep doing it, eventually you'll get better. Practice makes progress. Without God's grace, our failures, whether they're moral failures or whatever, whatever failures they are, they can overcome us with guilt and anxiety and feeling of low worth. We might feel like we, we can't be forgiven. We might feel like we can never change. We'll have fear. All these, all these things can overwhelm us when we fail if we don't understand grace, if we don't accept grace. But if you understand that God's grace gives you this safety net where if you fail, he's, he's got your back and he forgives you and says, it's all right, get up and try again. It's not the end of the world. It's all right, get back up and try again. And when we know we have that safety net, we can keep trying. We can't keep walking and trying to follow Jesus. Yes, it's a straight and narrow path. It is like sometimes it does feel like type road walking. It does feel sometimes feel impossible. But guess what? We have a safety net. So we're going to be okay. And eventually, we'll get better at it. There's a verse in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 that says, The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. You see, the difference between the godly and the ungodly is not that the godly are perfect. The truth is, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not, right? We're not perfect. But we understand that failure is a part of learning. And that through God's grace, right, we can overcome. That through God's grace, we can learn to walk and follow him. That one day we can become kind, loving, patient, persevering people. And we also understand that through God's grace, he can turn our failures into triumphs. That he can turn our ashes into beauty. That he can turn our scars into stories of victory. And in that safety net of grace, we are empowered then to change. So don't give up. Sometimes it feels like you're making little or no progress at all. But I want you to remember the story of the tortoise and the hare, right? The turtle and the rabbit. That it's not about your innate abilities. It's not about your success. It's not about, you know, the circumstances. Those things matter, but ultimately it's about perseverance. It's about the commitment you make to go on that journey in the first place. That the turtoise, even though he was slower, even though the odds were stacked against him, that he won and finished the race because he persevered. He didn't think about all the others saying, you're not going to make it. It's a lost cause. Give it up. He didn't listen to that. He didn't look to see where the rabbit was. He just committed to his path and he persevered. Paul, at the end of his life, wrote to his protege, protege Timothy, 
And he said this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. That crown is for you and for me. And notice Paul doesn't say that I have fought the fight, finished the race, and I have produced many things. He could have. He had planted many churches. He had led many people to Jesus. He could have boasted about all that, but he doesn't. He just says, I have been faithful. You know, faithfulness is not about productivity. Faithfulness is about perseverance. It's about the commitment, the daily yes to walking with God, the daily yes to the goals and the resolutions that you have set. And even though it doesn't feel like there's progress, I want you to remember that the Christian life is like the yo-yo in the hands of a man walking upstairs. It feels like you're just going up and down, up and down, up and down, but you're in the hands of a man who knows what, what he's doing, and he's going upstairs, and he is taking you somewhere, even if you don't always know what the big picture is. So don't give up. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Find your inspiration. Find accountability. Find your power song. Things that will motivate you. And don't look back at the failures. But look forward to what is ahead. And stay on course. And I pray that at the end of this year, while I'm playing the piano, <laughs> and um, slimmer, and all those things I'm hoping to achieve, that your prayers and your resolutions and, and your walk with God would um, be where you would like it to be as a result of your perseverance. May God bless you. And I invite the hymn team back up to sing our closing song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. <laughs>